Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. All right, if you've got Bibles with you, you can open it up for the, uh, to the first epistle of John. John's a real neat character. What we're going to do today, actually, as I read through this, we're going to go back and look at who John was and why God chose him to actually write this. I mean, he could have chosen anybody. He could have chosen Peter, Andrew. Um, he could have waited till Paul was around and had Paul write it, but he chose John. And, and I think there's a good reason for that because the book itself has some difficult passages in it that even we as believers have, have a hard time understanding. I mean, it's kind of like it, it has a little bit of conviction going on to it, which conviction can be good sometimes. I mean, it, it helps us reflect on see where we're at with the Lord, and then it just washes us. This book just, it shows a lot of the Lord's grace and his love and his plan in our lives. So if you want to read along with me, we're just going to do the first chapter real quick, and uh, then we'll dig into it. I, you know, I can't be a, a, a race car driver, NASCAR, because NASCAR, they're always going in a circle, you know, it's always left-hand turn. You're probably going to see today that John's going to throw that wheel to the right every now and then, and phew, I always go off course. There's no way I could be a NASCAR driver, but I'm going to try to stick to my points. I actually brought notes this time, and we're going to try to stay to it, and we're going to see what God says here. Anyways, uh, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the father was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. This is the message we have heard from him, and we declare to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now I'm gonna go about two verses longer. Sometimes in the scripture, it, it puts a, a chapter break just in an odd spot. This one's kind of in an odd spot, so I'm gonna turn right a little bit and go for a little bit more. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. And to me, that's where I would have put chapter two, but he didn't put me in that position to do that. Anyways, um, that's because you've heard of like the Eastern Orthodox Church. John belongs to the uh, Northwest Minnesota 
unorthodox church. I, uh, I sometimes do a little bit different, things differently than normal. And uh, that's what we're going to find out today a little bit, is that how I study scripture. It was a while back that Don and I were talking, and we were just comparing notes how you study. And he says, you know, what do you, what do you use as your study tools? And uh, I just say the Bible. Most often, I use the scripture. And then I've got an app on my phone, the Blue Letter Bible. I use that. I use a strong concordance. But for the most part, I just take the time to consider what is written there, and then I use the Bible to interpret it. And the Bible does a pretty good job of interpreting that. I mean, it really does. It's, we don't have to worry about that. So um, sometimes it can get me into trouble, you know, when I, when I take my right turns in the scriptures and say, why is that little note there? Why did God write that there? Um, I'll explore it a little bit, spend a little bit more time on it. And we're gonna do a little bit of that today. Sometimes in the scripture, like when I was younger, I've had a hard time understanding things. I just got saved and I went to a, a men's conference. And the, uh, the teaching there was on marriage about being equally yoked. And I walked away from that conference and I'm thinking, man, I do not get this at all. What does an egg have to, be, have to do with being equally yoked? I'm, you know, for some reason I wasn't understand the spelling of the word. It was, and I, I went back to church and pastor saying, you know, how was that conference? Yeah, it's pretty good. And, but in my head, I'm saying, I don't get it at all. It's yoke. What's an egg got to do with marriage? Well, a couple of weeks later, the pastor gave a, a teaching on uh, Matthew 11:29, And Jesus was saying, take my yoke upon me, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And I, I thought, the egg again, uh, John, you're really pretty thick-headed what's going on here but then as I read along with him that day I noticed it's the yoke that you're putting on a work animal you know and but then that caused another problem with me when Jesus said take my yoke upon me for my burden is easy and light it's like wait a minute the yoke that's work you're saying you want me to put this yoke on you I mean this is how my mind works sometimes I have to reason these things through but you know what, uh, Dan might know this, he's a farmer. When the yoke, the, the, the harness that's on the, the oxen, the work animal, when it's out there plowing the field, when we take our tractors out there now, it's not real hard moving along until you drop those blades down on the ground. And depending on the hardness of the, of the ground and how deep you're going, it starts, boo, you start needing some horsepower to do it. Jesus is not saying, wear that yoke on me now, because we're going to be plowing some soil, Jesus says, those blades are up, take my yoke upon me, we're going back to the barn for refreshments and, and food and for rest. He was saying that the work is done, so take my yoke upon me, it's over, there's nothing else you have to do. And to me, that's, that's pretty cool. That's, that's what Jesus was saying there. And for a marriage, he wasn't saying to be, uh, do not be unequally yoked, about an egg. It actually had to be with having that harness on, being together. Um, so I'm slow at learning some of these things, so uh, bear with me as we go through this. There might be a few areas where it's like, I don't know about that. Anyways, this is a very profound book. I'm going to give you, we're going to just go across the top of it, and then I would encourage you guys to read it later on, and maybe what some of the stuff that we're going to learn today 
will help you in understanding because it's a tough book. It, it, it can be in places and then such a rewarding book. But here's a couple facts. In 1 John itself, we find some very familiar verses, and I'll read a couple of them to you, and you'll say, yeah, I've heard that before. They're all in this book. It says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I mean, that's, that's in there. And the verse about lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, that's in 1 John. He who is greater... He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That's in 1 John 4.4. 4. Perfect love casts out fear. John, 1 John 4.18. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. Those are all, man, verses we hear quite often, but they're all contained in this, this one little book. There's a lot of other good little details in this book, too. Back in uh, Genesis, what is it, chapter 4, um, we, we read about where Cain killed his brother Abel. And it lays out, you know, one was, you know, uh, raising animals, the other's raising vegetables. But it doesn't say in Genesis why he killed his brother. Go back and read that text, you'll find out, no, it doesn't say why. But John here put it in 1 John in chapter 3 that, that it was because of hatred. He hated his brother. He explains that to us. So there's some really good points that do come out of this. Um, it's a good book, and I would highly recommend getting into it. There was times when, when life was going real good in my life, and I happened to be going through that book. It kind of almost got confusing at that time. But the times where I was hurting, you know, and struggling in life, and I found myself in that book, it was actually very, very rewarding at that time. Now, I would probably grew up being one of these kids that always asks why. You ever had, a, like, a, a child or a grandchild that, why, why? And you give them an answer, well, why, why? I do that a lot when I read the scriptures. And so we're going to study a couple of the whys that have crossed my mind as we went through them. And I think I have the answers to some of them. Um, I always pay attention to where the scripture was says when Jesus is speaking to someone, who was he speaking to? I think last time we were here, we talked about the paralytic being let down out of the, down into the roof and they brought him before Jesus and Jesus healed him. He said, you know, when he looked at those that let him down, he said to the paralytic, you know, rise and walk. He didn't say it to the paralytic. He, he was talking to the guys on the roof. So it's little things like that that just catch my attention, and then I'll make that right turn and follow it and see where it leads. Um, like in the Gospels, we read the account of um, where Jesus goes into the temple and he cleanses the temple. There's two accounts of it. One's in Matthew, the other's in John. And for the most part, they read pretty close together. And for many years, I thought, I thought it was just two accounts of the same thing that happened. But the more you look into it, it's actually two different accounts. Um, let's see, in John 2.13, it says um, that Jesus, right after he left Cana, where he changed water to wine, which has great significance, and just before the Passover is when he cleansed the temple that time. And then in the other account, it was uh, just right after Palm Sunday in Matthew, it said that when he came riding a donkey into town, just before the Passover, he went in there and he cleansed the temple. Actually, I'd like to read the one from John 2.13, if we got it, Joel. Um, John 2.13 and 16. This is one of the accounts of the two here. This is... It says, and, and the reason he did it once early on in the ministry and one after, it's one starting his ministry and one where he's closing it. There was a time when the woman, where they pour, poured oil on her, in three of the accounts or two of the accounts, 
it's at towards the end of his ministry. The one that I think is in Luke is towards the beginning of his ministry. There, there's a lot of significance there. Anyways, in John 2, 13 through 16, it says, Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand. Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those who sold oxen, sheep, and doves, and the money changers doing business. When he made a whip of cords, I, Don, when he taught that on this one time, it popped out. He, he said, he said, can you see Jesus sitting there before he goes in and starts doing all that? Said, he made a whip of cords. Didn't say he went and bought one or brought one with him. He sat there a while thinking this through. But he said he made a whip of cords and he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. And you just kind of read through that and it's, yeah, it's like an event that happened. But what popped out at me was he didn't, after he drove the animals out, he didn't throw the doves out. And the only ones he spoke to was those selling doves. And my mind always says, well, why is that? What was it about the guy selling the doves? And so often when I come to scriptures like that, that I'll, I'll actually put a, a little question mark in there, you know, and I say, well, I'll figure out what that means later on. And I'm pretty close to, to having that one figured out, so I've been able to erase the question mark, but when I do know it, when it's really confirmed in scripture, I'll put an exclamation point and be done with it. It's not to that point yet, but I, I think I'm leading in the right direction in my studies. And that just now, it mentions in that scripture that you have the guy selling the oxen, the sheep, and the dove. And right there, you actually have the gospel. You've got the oxen. It's a horse of work. It, it represents work, you know, trying to work your way towards God towards a relationship with him, it's not going to happen. Then you've got the sheep, the sacrificial lamb. Then you've got the dove, which symbolizes peace, and the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's little things like that are all through the scriptures, and I see a lot of that in 1 John. About three years ago, I moved here from, uh, from Missouri. I did 20 years in Missouri. I originally come from California, and uh, I had to learn the language there. There's different words that they use in Missouri that we just don't use here. And I, I had to get dialed into that. But the other day I was at work. There are some words here in Minnesota that they didn't use in Missouri or California. So I'm at work the other day with this guy, and I told him about one of our pieces of equipment broke. And he said, oofta. And I didn't think nothing of that. And so I kept working, and I thought, wow, maybe he's just tired. You know, we're working hard, or, you know, he got tongue twisted. Oofta, what is that? Some of you might know what it is, huh? I think so. I think I heard it at church here one time. I'm not going to mention her name, but when she gets back from vacation with Dawn, I'm, I'm going to ask her because I, I, I think I heard her say it one time too. I'm not too sure. But anyways, um, then I, it, after that guy said that, it was like a day or two later, one of his buddies came by and they're talking about fishing and, and they caught a whole lot of fish, you know, just really good walleye. And he said, oofta again. And I thought, well, oofta was bad when the motor went out, when, but now oofta is good because they caught a lot of fish. I'm, I'm really, really confused. So I said, I got to ask someone that knows. So last Monday, just this last Monday, I had a, a cousin of mine from the cities come up and visit up in Detroit Lakes. And I thought, well, she's lived here all her life. She might know this. 
So as we're driving to go get lunch, I said, hey, Tammy, you've lived here all your life, haven't you? And she's thinking, like, that's a question set up. She's not going to answer it. I said, no, 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 no. I said, what does oofta mean? And she smiled and shook her head yes. And you, you know what she said? She said, oofta. And I thought, what does it mean yes now? It, I was really kind of confused. But what I've, I've come to the conclusion, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong or Teresa will, oofta can mean good or bad. And oofta can mean yes. It's kind of like an exclamation point. So when I go through and I erase my question marks in the scriptures as I'm studying, and when it, the, the scripture, when I finally find out what it means, I'm, I'm going to put an oofta there. I said, I have learned the language. Like in the, uh, where is it? In the book of Psalms, there's a word that a lot of guys have debate what it means, like selah or selah, S-E-L-A-H. And there's always a debate of what it means. I think it means oofta. I, I really do. <laughs> I think from now on, when I read that, I'm probably going to say that out loud as I'm, as I'm reading it. And for something to earn an oofta mark when I'm doing my study in the scriptures is uh, for it to really be like concrete doctrinal belief. Um, I've got to find it in the Old Testament. I have to find it in the... Uh, in the, in the Gospels, and I'll have to find it in the Epistles. Like the scripture says in 2 Corinthians, you know, it, with two or three witnesses, you know, something's going to, a matter is going to be established, a testimony is, and a, it, it's, that's referring to relationships, but I also use that applying in, in my Bible study too, that if I can find it in all three places, like, like the, the virgin birth, you're going to find it in all of them, um, salvation by grace, you're going to find it in all of them, um, the cross, in all of them, that those those are the, the exclamation points that I actually can put in there when I when I see things like that in all three places. It's just a habit of mine. I think it's it helps me from getting out in left field sometimes. Um, so now I want to talk about why did God choose John? Why not Peter or Andrew? You know, the three of the inner circle. We know John wrote the Gospel of John, he wrote three epistles, and he wrote the book of Revelations, which you guys just went through. So um, he knows a lot. Um, the Lord chose him to do a little bit of writing. He, uh, he's the one who wrote the scripture that is probably the most common that we hear in, in society today, John 3.16. John wrote that. Uh, John describes himself as the one whom Jesus loved in, in the Gospel. That's how he describes himself. I think... When we read about often Jesus going out there, he, of course he had the 12 with him. At other times he had more and this and that. But he had the 12, then you had the inner three. And I think quite often Jesus took John alone with him. In the Gospel of John, there's conversations between Jesus and the ruling party and the Pharisees and all that that aren't mentioned in the other scriptures. John takes a whole lot of time to get to that point there. I think it was one-on-one, -on -one and that's why he felt so close to Jesus. And I think that's why he included, like, the Lord's Prayer, not the one where uh, our Father in heaven, that's actually the disciples' prayer. They asked Jesus, hey, teach us how to pray. So he told them that. But it's John recorded an actual prayer in, in John's uh, Gospel, John 17, it's the Lord praying to the Father. I, I, think, I think John was there and he heard that and that's why he included it. He saw the, the ministry of Jesus and the whole purpose, I think, differently than Peter. I mean, let's just go through and let's see the differences. I've got so many notes here, I just need to probably toss a few aside. Peter and John were both fishermen, rough characters. You, 
fishermen back there are probably the same as they are today. They weren't very religious guys. Um, when the Pharisees got on Jesus for not observing the Sabbath, and they say, you know, you're walking through the fields, picking grain and eating it, that's not lawful on the Sabbath. Jesus wasn't doing that. If you read that verse, it's the disciples, John, Peter, and all the guys. They didn't care it was the Sabbath. They were hungry. They were going to get the grain there. Uh, when they weren't, the Pharisees got on Jesus again about not ceremonial, ceremoniously washing your hands. It wasn't Jesus that wasn't washing his hands properly. It was his disciples. I mean, these are just regular guys like us, kind of rough characters. Um, they weren't very religious probably at all. So I want to take a picture of these two guys and their relationship as fishermen. John comes from a little bit, and we're, I'm, I'll back it up here in a little while. I think Joel has a whole lot of the scriptures lined up to some of the stuff. If I say it's kind of like, that means we don't know for sure. But a lot of what I'm going to say right now, it, it's in the scriptures just when we put it together. John comes from a, a wealthier family than Peter. His uh, dad, Zebedee, owns several fishing boats, some small ones, some big ones. And he subcontracts some of the work out to Peter and his brother, Andrew. And uh, that's because the Zebedee, Zebedee's family, they kind of had a block on the... Uh, the fish market, you might say. We see that in society a lot today, that you know, a company, they'll have subcontractors help out, but that company's a little bit bigger. And so Peter and John know each other very well. Peter's working hard. There's many times he's working many more hours than John, and we'll see that. It actually pops up in the scriptures too. But the Zebedees, they were kind of a well-to-do family. They would take their fish that they caught they would buy the fish from the other fishermen in the local area, and they would take it up to Jerusalem, which is south, but a lot of people would think, well, I'm going downhill if I'm going south, but going up to Jerusalem because it was, it was uphill in elevation from the Sea of Galilee. And the, the Jerusalem city walls had gates on them. You got the lion's gate, the sheep's gate. They had one called the fish gate, and that's where the fishermen would come in and sell their wares. Um, I work in the wastewater field, water treatment. Um, so the gate on the south end of Jerusalem caught my eye. It's called the Dung Gate. If you know what Dung is, that's why it was named it, actually. The, the Jews really had, had to keep things uh, kosher, clean. So nothing ever crisscrossed. There was, I mean, even for Gentiles visiting or whatever, they had to come through a different gate. Yeah, they had the dung gate at the lower end of town there. But they came through the fish gate. And quite often, I think, um, like in Proverbs, it says that the woman of the family, the mother of the family, would often do the business tasks of taking whatever the family produced taking it to the big market in Jerusalem and selling it. Um, in Proverbs 31, you can go back and read some of that. So I, I envision that uh, Peter, or John's mom was actually doing that. She was uh, getting the fish that the guys fished all night and caught and then repaired their nets, and that she would take the fish into Jerusalem and sell it. And being they were probably one of the biggest fish companies in the Galilee region, they got to know the Pharisees very well. They were kind of in that loop where Peter wasn't. And we're going to see this later on when Peter can't get into Jesus's trial or he can't get in there when he's talking to Caiaphas and Anna, the, the, the head priest back then. 
It's John that lets him in. John knows those people. John wrote about when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus about John 3:16, you know, and that you must be born again. Uh, John knows all that. I, he's kind of got the in, and that's, I, I think, you know, when he's probably younger, his mom would grab him by the ears and say, we're going to town, we're going to sell the fish, and Peter is like five or six years older than John. He'd say, see you later, I'm on the boat with the big guys, and, you know, John's being dragged to, to town by his mom. Actually, my mom used to grab me by my ears, too. It wasn't until I was probably 20 or 30 years old when I got saved that I read the scripture, he who has ears to hear, that I realized these things are for hearing, not for my mom to grab onto. It, it, it was really such a common thing with her that um, I can remember I was young and it was back in those days, growing hair longer was kind of the thing. So my mom let me and my brother grow our hair long. I can remember one of her friends that came over, they were having lunch, coffee or whatever, maybe wine with my mom, I don't know. But she says, why do you let your boys grow their hair long like that? She says, because I don't even have to look. I just reach out, grab something, and it's a head of hair, and I've got them into compliance. So gave my ears a break by, you know. And I can kind of see John's mom being like this. You know, he, uh, let's go to Mark 3, 16 and 17. There's a little account here. It says, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, to whom he gave the name of Bonerges, that is, sons of thunder. Now, in the next verse that we're going to look at, Luke 9, 51 and 56, um, this is what a lot of people think that they got the name sons of thunder for. Now, I'm, I'm leading to a point here. I don't think this is why. It could be. I think sons of thunder, they, I think their mom was a little bit loud. She kind of ruled the roost, and she was selling the stuff there. I think that's where they got the name. But it said, now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers before his face. And as, I better get my eyes on here. It says, as, and sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered the village of the Samaritans, prepared to him. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to come command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? John and his brother, they were ready to do it. Peter and John were always game for what was going on with Jesus. One just had a little bit better picture early on than the other. He says, you don't know what manner of spirit you are of. The, spirit, uh, the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. A lot of people think that account right there is why they're called Sons of Thunder. But I think it goes back to mom. Maybe I was a mama's boy, and that's why I'm kind of leaning that way. But I don't think so. Anyways, the Sea of Galilee was up north where they fished. The, dead, the, the Jordan River where they got baptized in went south. And then it goes into a place called the Dead Sea. That To me, that's, that's kind of just significant in and of itself. The washing away of sins, what's washed downstream ends up in a dead sea. Um, we find out when you read uh, the Gospel of Mark, which is basically uh, Peter's account, and you got the Gospel of John, you'll find out that these two guys were best friends, very competitive. John points out in his Gospel that he outran Peter, this and that. And they say a couple of little jabs at each other. Um, God gave them freedom when they were writing the gospel. And, the, you know, their accounts come out, their personalities come out. And John and, and, and Peter say a few things back and forth to each other that if, if you catch it, it's, it's like you have a friend and you have a best friend. When you're golfing with your friend and you just really hack one off out in the trees or whatever, your friend's going to say, oh, good try, buddy. Better luck next time. 
your best friend's going to say, you choked, get rid of your golf clubs, throw them away, why don't you take up knitting? Now, that's what a best friend says. And we, I actually see some of that. I don't know if it's just that why, why, why. But I see a lot of that in the scriptures. Now, everything that I just said now, we're going to run through some scriptures fairly quick. I mean, we're, we're going to go through them. And, and I hope we can see some of this that I just talked about. I don't know if my notes are going to match the ones on the wall, but I hope so. Let's go to John 21, 15, and 22. Let's see. So when this is after um, Jesus is resurrected, and uh, so, they, so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said, Yes, Lord, you know that I do. He said, Feed my lambs. Now this whole thing there, uh, Peter didn't describe in, in Mark. He left that out. But John chose to put it in there. And then in uh, John 21, Jesus just got through saying this discourse to Peter, um, saying, you know, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And then he tells Peter, Jesus tells Peter that, you know, you're going to really go through it. You're going to give your life for me. And what does Peter say? He turns around and says, well, what about that guy? You know, what about him pointing to John? Now, Peter didn't record that in his account. John recorded that in his account, John 21, 20 through 22. And Jesus kind of almost rebuked Peter. He says, what if I will that he remain till I come? What is that to you? Don't worry about that, Peter. You follow me. So Peter was always worried about that kind of stuff, was very competitive. Um, and in John 20, verse 4, that's where Peter, well, let's go, let me, let me, um, let me get my notes straight here. Let's go to Mark 1, 16 and 20. I'm going to lay out for everything I told you about their lifestyle as fishermen, where they're selling their stuff. We're going to cover all that. Now, we're going to go real quick. I'm just going to give you guys some support of what I just said, and you'll say, yeah, it does actually. A lot of that is said right there. John 21, 18 through 20. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and you walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you, carry you where you did not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what kind of death he would have. When he had spoken to them, he said, follow me. And then Peter, on John 21, Peter turned around, saw the disciple whom he loved, who also leaned on his breast at the Last Supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said, but Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said, I just went over that. Jesus said, what if I, re I will that he remain till I come? You follow me. So now let's get to Mark 1, 16 through 20. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting the net in the sea, for they were fishermen. So we knew that much. Then Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Now, this is probably early in the morning. Simon and Andrew, what are they doing? Peter and Andrew. They're still fishing. Let's go on. When he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in a boat, mending their nets. When you're mending your nets, you're done fishing. You caught enough. 
So we see that right there. Either Peter and his brother Andrew didn't catch any all night long, or they didn't catch enough. They caught just enough to sell to Zebedee and John's dad for the market. Now they need some for home. We don't know. But it says they were still fishing. John's family, they were done. They were cleaning their nets. It says, and he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with hired servants. So a little wealthier family. They've got servants, and they went after him. Now in Acts 4.13, when John and Peter were, um, this is after Jesus was resurrected, the leaders of the church made an accusation about these guys. It says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, untrained, they marveled, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Now they accused them of not being educated. But in 1 Peter 5.12, we see that they actually were. We know that John was, because John actually wrote the Gospel of John, and he says in John 21, 24, that he did. He said, this disciple who testifies to these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. So John says, hey, I wrote this. We also know in um, in 1 Peter 5, 12, it says, by Silvanus, our brother, as I consider him, I've written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this true grace of God in which you stand. So either Silvanus wrote it for Peter, or Silvanus was delivering the letter. We really don't know. So Peter may or may not known how to even read and write, but we know for sure John did. Because even in the book of Revelation in 21-24, or 21-5, it said, Behold, all things are new. And he said to me, Write these things, for these words are faithful and true. So we know John knew how to write. Now we're going to keep moving along. Sorry about going so quick here, but I only have three and a half hours to do this. Sorry. (laughs) I told Joel, hey, when I've, when I've kind of burned things out here, just, you know, give me the high sign. Like, uh, John 18, 13 through 16 says they led him away to, this is when Jesus was arrested. They said they led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Now, it's kind of a ruling class going on. Annas was the father-in-law of the high priest, but he was kind of overseeing it, saying, no, I'm going to call the shots here. But they'll send him to Annas a little bit later anyways. It says, uh, where it says, now and Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest, and that's John. The high priest, they knew John. They knew John's family. They were a well-to-do family. John was in the courtyard, it says, and, went, and he went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside the door. Then the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out there and spoke to her, kept the door, and brought Peter in. So we know that John kind of had a, kind of had an in there, um, and Peter didn't. But they got Peter in. John got Peter in. In Luke five three, it says, "Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon. So Simon had a boat, and they asked him to put a little bit out from land, and he sat down and he taught, taught the multitudes from the boat." If it was a big boat and he sat down, the crowd wouldn't have heard him. Bigger boats are deeper, so he's going to be sitting down. So this is probably one of those seven or eight man-sized boats. So Peter had a small boat. Jesus sat on it and he taught. This is, this is just all just a little warm up here. Bear with me. 
Uh, Mark 4, 36 through 39, it says, Now when he left the multitude and they took along with him a boat that he was in and the other little boats that were with him. So they apparently got in a big boat here and there were other little boats that were also with him. And a great, great windstorm came up and the waves hit the boat and they went to wake Jesus up who was down in the stern asleep. So this one's a bigger boat. This is probably Zebedee's family's boat. Um, then we go to Luke 22. Let me see here. Get into a couple interesting things here. Jesus is getting ready to um, to give his life. He's going to turn himself over. He's going to let the guys come and arrest him. And and there's something that just really jumps out here. It says, suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and he drew his sword. Oh, wait, that's... I skipped one. How about John 20, 22, 36? There it is, sorry. Then he said to them, by now he who has money bag, let him take it. Likewise a knapsack, and he who has no sword... Let him sell his garment and buy one. Um, this is a weird, weird scripture. Jesus is telling them, buy a sword. For I say to you, that which is written must still be accomplished in me. And he was numbered with transgressors, for the things concerning me have come to an end. So they said, Lord, look here are two swords. And he says, that's enough. To me, that's, that's just still sticks out. That hasn't earned an oofta yet at all. There's still uh, probably two question marks there. But we see here later on, Matthew 26, 51. Suddenly, one of those who was with Jesus stretched out his hand. He drew his sword, and he struck the high priest and cut off his ear. Jesus said to him, put away your sword, put it in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray my father, and he will provide me more with 12 legions and angels? How then could the scriptures be fulfilled unless this would happen? Now, this is when Judas came and betrayed Jesus. Peter didn't take out a sword and just do a little Zorro thing and, you know, surgically remove that ear. Peter was going for this guy's head. Peter was all in with Jesus. So why he didn't write this first book of John is not because he wasn't all in with Jesus. He really was. He was ready to die with Jesus right then. Peter just didn't quite know the complete plan. He thought, we're going to die with him now. This is what's going on. We're going to just, we're going for it. Um, my question is, when they said we have two swords here, we know Peter had one of them. Who had the other one? Whoever it was realized that there's more to this plan than going to battle. Uh, there's just more to it. The person that had that sword knew it. I almost tend to think that probably was John. I could be wrong. I mean, Peter and Andrew were pretty tough guys. Could have been Andrew. But we really don't know, and that's where one of those places where I'm going to say, I really don't know. Now, when he cut off this guy's ear, the other Gospels mention it. John, because he's in the know, he mentions who that guy was. It was Malchus's ear. He was a cousin of one of the guys, you know, the, the Pharisees there in the temple. Um, John knew him. Peter didn't. Peter was just cutting some strange dude's ear off. Um, John knew who he was. Now, we remember... Uh, Jesus had the inner circle, Peter, Andrew, and John. They were there at the Transfiguration. Uh, Peter, James, and John were at Gethsemane, uh, the healing of Jairus' daughter. When Jesus said, go set up the Passover meal, the very last Passover meal he was going to have with those guys, uh, the other scripture says that he sent a, two disciples. And Lucas says he sent Peter and John. These guys were tight. Peter knew that... John would get the information on him when Jesus said, you know, one of you here at the table is going to betray me. Peter says, psst, psst. 
John, ask him who it is. John was leaning on Jesus' chest. Peter and John were tight. Peter was all in, John was all in, but Peter was just, just wasn't quite ready at that point in time for what God's plan was. Um, we see them later on in the book of Acts. I'm not going to get into that where, you know, I don't have silver and gold, but what I do have, rise and be healed. That was Peter and John. They went to prison together afterwards. We see them in prison together. These guys were buds. But let's now get closer on why he chose John and not Peter to write this book. Um, in the Gospel of Mark, Peter mentions the word um, immediately, like 40-something times. So Peter was all about being immediately, let's get things done, I'm on board, let's do this. The most common word in the Gospel of John, these are probably useless facts to you guys, but they mean so much to me, believe. In the Gospel of John, 98 times John mentions believe. And so in this tough first book of John, the epistle of 1 John, there's a lot of stuff in there that's going to jump out at you. And it's like, this is tough, man. That, you know, I, I see myself in that. It's, I see in the mirror. I, see, I look like a sinner. And John always comes back to the word believe. Believe. I think Peter might have said something, you know, hurry up and straighten up your life and, you know, get on with this. Start acting like a Christian. But John shows a little bit more grace. Um, in the gospel, well, in the New Testament itself, there's a term for the Holy Spirit, the Paracletus. Um, it's referred to in the New Testament five times. Four times is in the Gospel of John, and one time it's it's right here in the Epistle of First John. Um, so there's there's a definite difference in the two guys, and why God I think chose John over Peter. Let's go to Luke 22, 59, and we're going to get to an account of where John really demonstrates his love to Peter. I might have to look up there because I'm already lost with my notes. I took a right turn a little while ago. Can we go to Luke 22, 59? Do we have that, Joel? Then I'll read it to you because it's kind of important. If Joel doesn't have it, it's because I didn't give it to him. Um, last time I just dumped a whole stack on him and said, we may or may not use some of these. Good luck with it. And that was the morning of. Uh, this time I gave him an hour or two heads up, but I did the same thing. Pfft, here we go. We may or may not use these. And so if he doesn't have it, that means I didn't give it to him. Um, but let me read it to you. Luke 22, if you have your Bibles, turn there because this is kind of cool here. We're going to find out a little bit about uh, John, the grace of John. He, he really knows grace. Um, 2259. Then after about an hour passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you were talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And then Peter remembered the words of the Lord, how he was going to betray him. So Jesus and Peter caught eyes. Peter just knows that he just betrayed the one he was just ready to give his life for. Um, that's a bad position to be in. I can remember we had a death in the family um, about 20 years ago now. Um, Brian was killed in a car wreck. And of course, everyone's devastated. He had a girlfriend. They weren't really engaged yet. Um, they hadn't come to that point, but they were 
like it's like any day they're going to do it. But his girlfriend was just devastated, you know, and it's like, well, yeah, you know, we need to move along and get things going on here. But she told me one day, she says, you know what our last words with me and Brian were? She says, we were in a fight. We said we hated each other. And it's like, wow, that's probably how, um, how Peter was feeling at this time. He just betrayed the one he, he was just ready to give his life for. So it says here that Peter left. And then, uh, um, and then you go to the crucifixion. And who do you see at the cross? None of the disciples are there but John. There's some women there, you know, big crowd and all that. But the disciples are gone. John's there. Peter's out somewhere just, you know, crying his head out, um, just devastated. Then we see in Mark 16, 1 through 7. It says, now when the Sabbath was passed, this is Jesus has been buried. He's been dead a couple days now. It says, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices and that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, who's going to roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had already been rolled away. For it was very large. In entering tomb, they saw a young man clothed in white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Um, there's two more verses I want to read here: six and seven of Mark. It gets a little bit more detailed, I think. Verse six. Now this is the angel speaking to them. Go and tell the disciples and Peter that he's going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. Now, this angel, who probably got his instruction from the Lord, said, go tell the disciples, but go and tell Peter. Peter's off by himself somewhere. He's devastated. So then we go to John 20, oh, 1 through 6. And we get a little bit more detail here. We find out where Peter's at, what he's doing. John 20, 1 through 6. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark, saw that the stone had rolled away. Then she ran and she came to Simon Peter like she was instructed to do. And the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb. That's John. John was with Peter. When, when Jesus was on the cross, what did he say to John? He said, um, son, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. John was so close to the Lord that the Lord said, take care of my mom. John also saw the need of Peter in Peter's life. And he took care of Peter as well. He was there for him in Peter's worst hour. This, by obviously far, was probably Peter's worst hour. I mean, he betrayed Jesus. Um, that shows a lot about John's character. And being there's some tough stuff in 1 John, the epistle of 1 John, I think that's why the Lord chose him. I mean, you can come to your own conclusion there, but we see that they were both hard-working fishermen. They both got the message of Jesus. They were both on board, probably both had a sword. One used one and said, no, the plan isn't that. The plan is not for that. So we're going to go through these pretty quick. We're just going to a little bit of 1 John, and let's see what John wrote us here. 
And then, like I said, I encourage you guys to read this later on. 1 John 1.1 1, 1 says, That which is from the beginning. 1 John 1, 1.2 says, The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father was manifested to us. So John is saying, pay attention here. The one, the eternal one, he manifested himself to us and what we're writing to you is true. You got to believe us. This is real. And my question, like it always is, why? Why was Jesus manifested to us? John answers that. He, he, he actually foresaw a guy like me that's going to ask some questions, um, especially in some of the scriptures like this, and, and he answers it, and a lot of it's answered right in this same book. I mean, if you can go to some of them. Like in 1 John 3, 5, he says, he was manifested so that you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. 1 John 3, 8, that he might destroy the works of the devil. That's why this was written. John, 1 John 4, 9 is... In this, the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent his son, his one and only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. So if you ask why this was written, why Jesus was manifested, this is why. 1 John 1, 3, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus. Now, Fellowship with the Father is a privilege that the Lord has only given to those that have chosen to believe. Um, God's a gentleman. He's not going to force anybody like a robot to try to have fellowship with him. God can't have a fellowship with us if we're in sin. And this little book talks a little bit about sin. So how, how does that fellowship get restored? Um, if we're living in the flesh, we, we, there's no way we can be having an ongoing working relationship with the Lord. It just doesn't work. And John covers that here. In 1 John 1, 4, he says, And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Um, my question is why? Why did he write these things? So that our joy would be full. When you read this, sometimes you're not going to feel very joyful. Sometimes you got to skip ahead like to 1 John 2, 1. I write these things to you so that you may not sin, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. So that scripture right there is going to tell us that you're going to sin. It's what you do with it. What do you do about that sin? Take it to Jesus, and he forgives you. 1 John 2, 12. I write to you because your sins are forgiven. Not will be forgiven, are forgiven. Colossians 3, 3. For you died and your life is hidden in, with Christ. So this joy he's talking about here. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Sometimes our joy is not very full. Sometimes we're getting weighted down by the, the cares of the world. Quite often that happens to me. There was a psalm that David had uh, penned. Psalm um, 51. Really good song made out of it too. Um, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew in me a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. When we're feeling down, when we're not feeling quite saved, you know, if our walk's just not right, we're struggling with things, and we want that joy of that initial time when we felt God save us, the release of our sins, 
David struggled with that too. And, and sometimes I go back to that psalm and it brings me right there. The joy of thy salvation. We're not going to find, we'll have short-term happiness in this world. Joy and happiness are two different things. Um, but yeah, it's, joy is actually, it's an eternal thing. Um, we're going to go really quick through some of these. The key is on, on the hard parts in this, this book is um, the word practice. Because sometimes we're going to say if we're sinning, you know, how, how does that line up with my Christian walk? It's what are you practicing and what are you battling? In 1 John 1, 6, it says, 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we, we lie and do not practice the truth. This is some. This is one hard one. It you gotta let it sink in because sometimes we're not gonna feel like our walk is right. We're not gonna feel like we're walking in the light. He who says I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. That's in this book. That hurts. How do we reconcile that? First John three six. Whoever sins has neither seen him or known him. That hurts. How do we get through all those tough ones? John's writing to believers, you know, so if he's saying, you know, what are you doing about sin? It's not unbelievers. He's writing to us. The whole key here, if there's a memory verse you need to memorize in your life, this is one of them right here. And this is, we're going to partake today of, of communion, remembering what Jesus did. But 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is... That one is so packed right there. And sometimes we don't feel saved. You know, other times we might realize we're saved, but we don't feel spirit-filled. Um, you got to fight that off because if we have believed and we've given our life to the Lord, it's not based on feelings. Um, it's like, but I just don't feel saved. And the enemy will play on that. I don't feel saved. You, I know what I thought last night. I know what I did last night. I know what I'm planning on doing tomorrow. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. If you read the Scriptures, you've given your heart to the Lord, and you read the Scriptures, and you understand them. They're making sense. Um, forget your feelings that you don't feel saved because if you were just a natural man in your unsaved state, you would not be able to understand the scriptures. That's what 1 Corinthians is telling us here. There's going to be a lot of times in your life, well, there is a mind. Maybe you guys are special, more special than me. I'm used to that. doesn't make me cry. But there's a lot of times I don't feel saved. I don't. You know, I'll go home from work and there's something I had said or done at work, and it's like, man, a believer would not do that, John. You failed the Lord. And boy, those thoughts really start to come in. And it's like, man, I, I wanted to walk by the Spirit, but maybe I'm not Spirit-filled like I thought I was. Um, John said 98 times in that gospel that believe is the most important thing. So we believe what Jesus said. What we might struggle. We might think, I've messed up. There's no way God's going to forgive me. I'm not saved. But if we even go back a couple verses in that 1 Corinthians, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Um, if we feel like we're not saved, if we 
cannot sense God's Holy Spirit working on us and we're being just, you know, tormented within ourselves for something stupid that we did, don't doubt your salvation. Don't doubt God's Holy Spirit in you. If you can read the scriptures and you see those things and you know that you have confessed with your mouth Jesus is the Lord and you've believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead, um, you've called on him for this, you're saved. Settle it. That's something you need to wrestle out with your flesh and say, and you know, get behind me, Satan. It, that ain't happening. If you're saved, if you understand the scriptures as you read them, you might have struggling times in 1 John like I have. But, but it's making sense. It comes down to your belief. Did you place your trust in Jesus? Don't go on your feelings. Our, our feelings are, are going to uh, misrepresent the truth of what's going on. In Romans 10, 9, and 3, it's, it's like the road to Romans that, where you share your faith with someone. There's some really powerful scriptures. It says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus the Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then in verse 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if we've done that, God made a promise that he's going to save us. doesn't matter what we feel like, like the old Bob Dylan song. God don't make promises he don't keep. So we got to remember that God promised it. Let's, let's just rest in that. Now, back in 1 John 2, 4, he says, He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not him. That's another one of those ouch ones. Don't worry about that ouch. Go back to verse 1 and 9. Um, if you confess your sins to the Lord. You know, let me read that verse again. And maybe it's something we need to consider. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Now, if someone's at church, say their spouse isn't with them, they say, boy, that's a good one for my spouse to hear. You know, this message was for them. No, no, things that we hear here at church is for us. Don't worry about your spouse. Don't you say, boy, I heard a sermon today. It was just for you. It's for us. It's not for us to say, you know, you need to change, brother or sister out there. No, it's it's... Sometimes that scripture's for us. It was years ago in, in Missouri. I had just moved there to help out a pastor start a, a fledgling church, really young church. And he was, people weren't showing up on Wednesday nights and he was getting frustrated with it. And so I shared a verse with him that I, I thought was for him. It's, it's John 21, 7. If we've got it, Joel, maybe you could put it up there. If not, I'll read it to you. And I thought the Lord gave me that message to give to him. And uh, let me read it. It says, Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. It's when they're out fishing and Jesus walks. I'm not going to back up and give you the whole story here. Simon and, and all the apostles that are sitting around said, Simon says, I'm, gonna, I'm going fishing. And they all said to him, this is in verse 3, We're going with you. We're going fishing. They went out and immediately got in the boat, and that night they caught nothing. And when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. And yet the di disciples did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any food? And they said, no. Now notice there are a lot of times I read through that and I, th I thought Jesus was saying, children, have you caught any fish? No. He says, children, do you have any food? Have you eaten yet? You guys got anything to eat? Have you eaten? Jesus' concern is for them. It's not about their fishing, but he he gives them some fish here. He said to them, cast your net on the other side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast the net on the other side of the boat 
They caught so many that they were not able to pull it in. And therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved, John said to Peter, it's the Lord. Peter jumps out of the boat, swam to shore, and the story goes on. But the verse right there, cast your net on the other side of the boat. I thought God gave me that scripture to give to the pastor there. And so I shared that with him out of love. I was just saying, you know, cast your net over the other side of the boat. You know, the catch people are going to start showing up on Wednesday nights. He says, that verse is for you, John. And he's all frustrated. It's like, man, and I was living with him at the time because I just moved there looking for a place. And so while we we're doing this dishes that night, I asked his wife, Karen, I said, man, what's with Stevie? He was really kind of harsh on me. She says, he's just really frustrated with Wednesday nights. Nobody shows up. They all go play softball. That's softball nights. It's like, hmm, okay. So I went back, and it's like, Lord, I thought you gave me that verse for Steve. And the Lord said, no, that's for you, John. You're to cast your net on the other side of the boat. Don't worry about what Steve's doing. And I thought, wow, that's kind of weird. So that Wednesday night, we show up to church, and there's just one guy that had moved to Missouri from North Dakota. He was there every night, athletic guy, but he was skipping softball to be there on a Wednesday night. And I could see Pastor Steve shaking his head. It's like, man, I'm so tired of this. I put so much work into this. And I'm thinking, Lord, what do you, you told me to cast the net on the other side of the boat. What do I do? You know, if that verse is for me, it's not making much sense. So, so I said, Steve, let's the three of us, let's go to the softball park. Let's, let's go there. And he says, might as well. No one's showing up here anyways. Let's, you know, if they don't care, I don't care. Let's go watch them play ball. You know, it's probably not a good attitude to have. Poor Steve was frustrated. And we get there, and almost everybody you see on Sundays was out there playing softball. It was, got to say hi to everybody. So we're kind of sitting there in the, in the bleachers, and that verse is, just keeps going around in my head. It's like, I'm still not getting it, Lord. What's, what's going on here? So as they're playing softball, I turn Pastor Steve and I, I, it really wasn't from me. I think it was the Lord. I said, hey, after the game, why don't you just tell everybody that, you know, you hope to see them tomorrow night on Thursday at the midweek Bible study. And he looks at me like I just poured salt in a wound. And, and he's like, what do you mean? It's, it's not Thursday nights. It's Wednesday nights. Every Calvary I've ever been to, it was Wednesday nights. That's how we do it. If they don't want to make it on Wednesdays, they're not going to. And then he sat back there and he's eating his hot dog and then it started to click. On Thursday nights, I told him, on Thursdays, not Wednesdays. And I said, we can be here and play ball on Wednesdays with them. And he thought about it. Pretty soon he's smiling at his, as he's eating that hot dog and it's like a light bulb went on. It's like, well, yeah, you know, we, we don't have to do a Wednesday. We can do a Thursday. And that next night, there was a lot of people there in that midweek Bible study, but had to get out of what we thought God's plan was and get into more of what God's plan was and just minister to the people there. I mean, it was pretty simple, but neither of us could get it. Had I insisted it was his scripture, he probably wouldn't have got it. But that's where, you know, that scripture was for me. I got to remember, it's, it's me. I, I can't go to church to think the message is for somebody else. Even today, I mean, it's, today the Lord speaking to me well we pretty much covered that i would say as you go back sometime read this epistle i mean there's there's one verse here i want to get to before we leave 
1 John 2, 3 says, if we know him, we know him if we keep his commandments. What are Jesus's commandments? Um, the commandments isn't the Old Testament. The Old Testament, the law that was given to Moses is a mirror and basically it's just gonna show you your sin. Um, you can't wash, if, you, if you're looking in the mirror and you see dirt on your face, you see sin there, you're not gonna take the mirror off and try to remove that sin. That's not the intention of the law. The law was to point us to Jesus, to make us recognize we're dirty, how dirty we are sometimes, and then we use something else to wash with, and that's the blood of Jesus. The law just points out our sin and our need for a savior, and we go on. So in 1 John 13:34, I wonder, there we are. Look at that. Good job, Joel. A new commandment I give to you. So Jesus says, keep my commandments in 1 John 2, 3. If we know him, we're going to keep his commandments. What are his commandments? We're going to see them right now. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's the key. John 6, 28 and 29, he kind of goes on with that thought, I believe. But that's the commandment of God, is to love one another. Then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Remember I said something about don't trust your feelings? Believe in Jesus, love your neighbor, that's where it all comes together. So when you go through this scripture or any scripture in the Bible, um, just know that that's God's plan. It's, it's not about the obedience to the law. It's believing in him and loving. I mean, that boils down to that. 1 John 5.12 says, He who has the Son has life. He do, does not have the Son does not have life. I mean... 1 John, the epistle of 1 John is just jam-packed full of stuff like that. Just really good quotes. Um, but that's it. All, basically, I just wanted to give you a quick review of the epistle of John. I think if we got one minute here, this was laid on my heart. Did I lose my glasses already? They should be right on my head. On John 17, Jesus actually... Um, it's what I referred to earlier as the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus is himself actually prays, and he, he uh, prays for his disciples, and then he prays for us. It becomes very, very, very personal. Um, I found him there in my left front pocket, right where I put him. Have you ever had anybody say, uh, you'll never believe it, I found my glasses and they were in the last place I looked. Well, if you're still looking past the place you found them, you're probably a good friend of mine. You know, why would you keep looking if you already found them? That's why they're in the last place. John 17, uh, Gospel of John 17, verse 5 through 20. Jesus, and John records this. John's there, I think, just like he was there with Nicodemus with the John 3.16 account. But John prays for the disciples, then he prays for us. Um, 
O now, and now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Jesus is eternal. He shared the glory with the Father, with God. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they kept your word, the disciples. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. The disciples are catching on, and Jesus has known it. For I have given to them the words which you have given me. Jesus was teaching them. They're catching on. And they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you. And they have believed that you sent me. Peter and John both believed this. All the disciples did. Peter didn't quite know the full extent of the plan, but he believed Jesus was the Messiah. And he was willing to die for that belief. Jesus goes on and says, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. The disciples are the fathers. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in this world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, O Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none was lost except the son of perdition, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Remember John mentioned joy back there. This is Jesus still speaking. I have given them your word. The world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you've sent me into the world, now I send them. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by truth. This is where we come in. I do not pray for these alone. He's not praying just for the disciples. He says, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So us as believers, a lot of what we believe, we base that on what the disciples have written down, what we see in the Bible, God's word, his living word. Jesus actually prayed for us there. He says, not just for them, Father, but take care of everybody who believes in his word. That's us. Jesus actually prayed for us. And he right now is with the Father, and he's got us in mind. That's, that's pretty hard to understand or even comprehend or put your, wrap your head around it. There's a lot of things in the scriptures that we can't put our head around. Try explaining the Trinity. Don't give me that egg issue. It has nothing to do with an egg. I haven't found anything else in the scriptures about an egg. Jesus didn't say, understand me in the sense of the Trinity, he didn't say, understand some of the deeper things of faith. What did he say? Just believe. Believe that I said it. That's all you got to do. He says he'll give us the insight to the important things in life later, but it's belief. It all comes down to belief. So we're going to um, partake in communion today. I'm going to have uh, Luke take over. And uh, take time to reflect as we do this today that... Um, Thank the Lord that you are saved, that you've heard his call, that when you read the scriptures, 
that you know that you couldn't understand them if it wasn't that you were saved and that you are spirit-filled. And in the case that you might not be, today would be a good day to, to close that question mark off. Just say, Lord, take my life. I'm a sinner, save me. He wants that. He want, Jesus wants to be our Savior. Yes, he, uh, he's a lot of things. He's the lion from the tribe of Judah. He's the sacrificial lamb. But he wants to be our Savior, and he is. So that's why we're going to partake today and... Um, just consider, check it out this, this week, you guys. If you get a chance to read First John, I would encourage you to do it. Thanks. Thank you, John.
See? 